0: When people think of psychedelics, they think of this like inter-universe travel where microdosing is so different. I mean, it's so sub perceptual to the point where, like I said, the nine to fives, the people with children, the people that with careers, the lawyers, the doctors, the dentists, we can all use these substances very safely. And uh, so changing that narrative of people's mind frames when they think about magic mushrooms, to think about that we can use these in the microdosing capacity and still get extraordinary results.
1: Hello, friend. Welcome to MindMeld. I'm Josh Gonzalves and this is a podcast where I have in-depth conversations with some of the brightest people in the known universe. My aim is to spark deep conversations around interesting topics to find the tools, tactics, and philosophies that we can all use in our daily and creative lives. This episode is a conversation with Keegan Downer, the founder and CEO of Mindful Meds. They are the leading community for mindful growth and healing, specializing in plant-based medicines and psychedelics with the goal of safely supporting and improving the lives of 1 million people by the year 2025. This conversation with Keegan revolves around the use of psilocybin, or magic mushrooms, to improve your life. We talk about safely using psilocybin as both a means to help with mental health issues like anxiety and depression, as well as using it as a nootropic to improve your cognition, creativity, and problem-solving abilities. Keegan also shares his story of battling depression and alcoholism, and the journey that he went through to discover the need for psilocybin in our mental health system. And just letting you know, Keegan does go really deep on his story, which ends at about the 30-minute mark. I highly recommend listening to his fascinating story to get more context on why this is so important, but if you do want to get into the meat of the podcast, you will find that at around the 30-minute mark. Honestly, I can't think of any other single technology or product that I think will have the most impact on society and culture in the next decade. So I hope you feel the same after listening to this conversation, and if you don't know too much about psychedelics, I hope it's eye-opening and pushes you to do a little bit more research. And if you are curious or you've been wanting to try microdosing psilocybin for a while, I highly recommend trying Mindful Meds. It's probably the safest and definitely the easiest way to get started. I've tried both their Perform and Inspire blends, which have both been amazing. And Keegan is giving all MindMeld listeners 10% off your next order if you do want to try. Just use the code MindMeld at checkout. I also have a direct link in the description of this podcast if you want to go check that out. If you found this podcast helpful or interesting, please share this with your friends or anyone you think needs to hear this. This is one of those rare podcasts where it actually could change or maybe even save someone's life. If you want to dive deeper into any of the things we brought up or get direct links to things like resources, people, tools, or books that we mentioned in this podcast, you can find everything in the show notes for this episode. You can find the direct link to the show notes in the description of this podcast, or you can go directly to mindmail.fm. That's M I N D M E L D dot F M. I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's dive right in. I'm Josh Gonzalez, and this is Mind Meld with Keegan Downer. All right, well, Keegan, welcome to Mind Meld, man. I'm so excited to have you here and finally get to do
0: this podcast with you. Dude, thanks for having me. I uh, I love being a guest and uh, I'm excited for this as well.
1: Yeah, man. I, I'm i just so humbled that we got this opportunity to connect through Mark Metry. after he was on this podcast. He's been just connecting me with some amazing people in the space. And all it took for me was to tell him like once that I was into psychedelics. And he's like, hey, I know the perfect guy you need to chat with. So I'm so excited we get to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, me too, man. And, uh, you know, Mark just kind of You know, it's interesting with Mark, I I first saw his material way back in 2016 when he was just like becoming, um, you know, who he is today online, I suppose. And um, yeah, about a month ago, maybe two months ago, we connected and uh, we've connected many times since. And I've actually just signed up. I'm doing his coursework. Uh, With him. And I just had my first session with him yesterday. So shout out to Mark Matry. Yeah,
1: Mark, if you're listening, thanks so much for connecting us, man. Like, this is going to be history on Mind Mel. This is going to be the first psychedelic focused episode. I brought it up so many times on other episodes, but dude, I'm so excited we get to go deep on this topic here today. And and I think, like, where I want this to kind of flow is even you yourself, you said you went from a knowledge of about zero out of 10 to like maybe six or seven out of 10 now when it comes to the psychedelic space. So I'm hoping this conversation and through your knowledge, we can get our listeners from a zero to a six, get them to understand kind of what this is, some of the cool stuff, the crazy stuff, and some of the the more recent uh, updates that have been happening in this space, and especially with your company, uh, Mindful Meds, and what you guys have been doing to pioneer this work. Before we even get into that, I think it's really important for people to understand your journey and how you got to here and how you decided to start the company and the story, this magnificent story that you've told me on a previous call that I just think everyone needs to hear to kind of like understand where you're coming from and what you're actually doing with this company. So I'll leave that to you um, to kind of explain the story because it's absolutely Absolutely amazing, man.
0: Yeah, I got into entrepreneurship and kind of startups fairly young in my early 20s. I was just thrilled by business. I I I loved everything about it. I took a two-year business diploma. And I gotta tell you, you know, my favorite class out of that whole diploma was the entrepreneurship class where you got to kind of put your creative hat on. But during that same era, I actually kind of suffered from my first bout of really severe depression. And I got transferred from the college into the university. And in my third year, I suppose, I showed up and I was a really different human being. Um, I went through a pretty... You know, th- through a breakup, um, like many of us do. And honestly, at that time, I just wasn't really prepared for it. I didn't really have the support pillars in my life um, anymore. And one of the things that I started to lean into was, was alcohol. And so I I just remember being so, so depressed and, and showing up in my first semester of university and sitting in some of these classrooms where... I literally knew some of the people in there for almost a decade before because a lot of the people from my high school and junior high actually went to school out in Lethbridge. And I just I just remember for the first time in my life, just this like this massive void inside of me and just not really understanding what it was. And what's what's really kind of interesting about it is honestly, I had no mental health problems up until this point in time and actually consider myself incredibly blessed, had an amazing set of friends, amazing set of family. And, um, and the reality is, is all of a sudden, I was, I was depressed for the first time. And like I said, I started to really lean into booze. Um, So this happened quick. And I would say within, you know, four months, I, I really developed this taste for alcohol. And I had this like, Real ability, just to just to kind of run from the root cause of what was what was causing that pain. I just, I I, I didn't want to access it. I I, I was definitely running um, away from those feelings with alcohol, and you know it's kind of sad because like man, my my trajectory as a twenty two year old, if I look back in my life, I was going exactly where I wanted to go, and all of a sudden I just hit this brick wall. I was stunted. And pretty much overnight, I felt like my life had completely and utterly changed. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, I remember actually taking a job in New York City in 2008, the summer of 2008. And on the lead up to that job was, I was, I was in that, that winter semester. So in January, I dropped out in February. And that entire month of February, I think I drank every single day all March, all April. My new job started on, on May 1st. And for the first time in my lifetime, I was on a bender. I, I was on a pure tear. Not everybody, very few people knew kind of the, the level of, of the drinking at that time, but I showed up in New York City, a completely different version of myself. Just an absolute shell of a human being. You could see it in my eyes, you could see it in my face. I wasn't sleeping well, I wasn't taking care of myself. The, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. And honestly, man, what ended up happening, and this is a, you know, again, this is a bit of a story, but the reality is, is um, I remember showing up in New York and for the first time in my life, not wanting to be alive. And, you know, nobody, I, I still have this ability to be like, you know, the the joker in the room. And when alcohol was in my system, I could really hide things super well. Nobody really ever knew how much booze was inside my system but me. And I had this like unique ability to completely camouflage the drinking and act like a normal person. But really, I had, you know, a four out of 10 buzz level going honestly from noon until the time I went to bed. But here's what happened. I was so depressed that I was, I I was for the first time starting to think about suicide and, and like everything that we were doing was supposed to be super exciting, but everything that I was feeling was numb. And I'll tell you, man, I, I ended up actually going up there one night when no one else was around and standing on this rooftop and kind of looking down at the ground and really just making this commitment to killing myself. And the only thing that stopped me at that moment was my parents, who worked incredibly hard their entire career, saved every single penny they ever earned, Um, they were actually on a trip around the world. They had retired in 2008. And so they had this dream trip around the world. And so as I was drinking and on this bender, my parents were out and had no idea that any of this was even happening. And. I, I just kept thinking, like, I just can't do this to my mom and dad. I just, I can't have them come and and have to scrape me off the ground. I ended up leaving New York at the end of August, flying into Calgary, walking through the Calgary airport and I, no drinks on the plane. And I just remember I was shaking, walking through the Calgary airport and I was like trembling and I was sweating and I was going through withdrawal and I just... I I just remember me being, that was the first time for me knowing that I had an alcohol addiction. And I I just, I was able to hide it from everybody else for a very long time after this. But I I personally knew I had a serious, serious problem in that moment when I was walking through the airport in Calgary. And it just kept on going on. And every year just kind of get, was continuously getting a little bit worse and worse. And, you know, leading up into, when I went into rehab in 2016, um, the six months leading up, I had a seizure. I was trying to dry out from booze and I actually had a seizure for the first time in my life. I smoked my head. Uh, I was in the passenger seat, thank God. Um, I ended up just smoking the bridge of my nose on the uh, the front of the, the vehicle. Blood splattered everywhere. I ended up going in. I had a seizure. Um, I had had pancreatitis a few times over that decade and for anybody that doesn't know anything about that it's just like your pancreas is incredibly inflamed and swollen it's said to be one of the most painful things that a human can can endure and I can really attest to that it was incredibly painful but I had all these warning shots like my body was breaking down and and I got to tell you man like during that process like I wanted it to break down I wanted it to kill me I was drinking with the intention that I was going to kill myself and you know, if it wasn't suicide, the booze were literally gonna wipe me off this earth. And, you know, the six months leading up, you know, to rehab, I was literally the first person in the liquor store at nine o'clock in the morning. I was the last person in the liquor store at 11 o'clock at night. And and I gotta tell you, man, what ended up happening was I started to lose the feeling in my left arm. I, I couldn't even look at a clock anymore. My eyes were so blurry. And that I couldn't even look at like an electric clock that was on on the shelf without my eyes, you know, going super blurry. I couldn't watch TV anymore. My heart rate was going through the roof, and finally, I was on on the cusp of death. And um, I got wheeled into a hospital. I'm not joking. I was in a wheelchair, wheeled. I couldn't walk anymore. Wheeled in, and um, and I honestly thought that you know I was gonna get. they were going to come back and tell me that I had something that was going to kill me. So something cancerous. And what ended up happening is I, I went into the hospital, um, and the, the doctor had come into our little room. My fiance, Lisa was there. My business partner at the time was there. And she goes, well, Keegan, I got some really, really bad news to share. And, um, of course, I knew that there was bad news coming. Like I, I was in such bad shape that I I wasn't even afraid of it. I was I was ready to confront it. And um, she goes, um, "You've got type one diabetes," and I didn't know what that meant. But I had literally drank myself into oblivion to the sense that I uh, I I destroyed my pancreas, my organ that was producing the insulin, no longer produced the insulin. But then she says your blood sugar is a 28, which to many people that doesn't mean much, but a healthy human is between five and seven. And she goes, you were literally hours away from slipping into a coma. And so there I was in the hospital confronted with this news, knowing that now the entire world is going to find out about this. My family's going to find out about this. There's no more hiding. There's no more running. And I was, I was addicted to running from the pain, man. And I, I never wanted to confront things. And this is really going to lead into this conversation about psychedelics and psilocybin. But the reality is, is I had this, this really unique experience where I was in the hospital and lying on the hospital bed. And after she had told me how close I was to going into a coma, I literally started to replay my funeral. And I started to look at my life and I realized oh my God, I was gonna die and, and it have left literally zero impact on the world. All, you know, all of the amazingness that I felt as a kid and as an adolescent and as a teenager and as a young adult until I was 22, literally that trajectory that I felt like I was going on, it had collapsed on me. And, and now I'm starting to think about who's even gonna attend my funeral and what is gonna be said about my life at this funeral? And, you know, my parents came uh, to the hospital and for the first time, you know, the, it was like hitting the panic button. Like, like, like there was no, there was no getting, you know, I, I basically had to go and accept some, some help and I was ready for it at that point in time. So I was ready to go into a rehab facility. I was ready to try to get my life back and try to rewrite that narrative. And, um, and so I was blessed. You know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is is this rehabilitation model here in Canada. And and some of the the roadblocks to access some of this treatment, I mean, it's incredibly challenging. I mean, to go into a private rehab facility in Canada is somewhere between 25 and 50 grand. Depends where you go. Most of these places don't have a payment plan, so you're not able to, you know, just put five grand down and and attend. You've got to pay for this entire thing up front. <laughs> And I gotta tell you, man, when you're an addict and you're you've got the level of addiction that I had, the level of addiction in the sense that um, you you don't you don't care if you live or you die. No no one's banking any money, right? Like no, no one is is literally thinking about their future. So like I didn't come from this place of privilege, but I'll tell you the best gift my parents ever gave me in the world was this ability to go into rehab, and so I accepted. I went into rehab. And I found a rehab that uh, is very unique. It was totally based around mindfulness techniques. It wasn't this like godly AA kind of model because at that time I didn't think there was a God because like, you know, if there was a God, how the hell did I end up like this? You know what I mean? I was just in this negative, negative feedback loop in my brain. And so I, I went in and I decided that I was gonna take this thing more seriously than anybody else in that whole program. And so the entire month that I was in there was me digging as deep as I possibly could into the wounds that I had and there were many because man when you run for 9 years dude they just start piling on they just start packing on and so I was just I was just an open book I threw every single thing out that I could speak about that I could possibly think of every opportunity I had to share I shared And by the end of it, I literally felt like there was a hundred pound weight that just came off my heart. And this is interesting because it's going to lead into how this started. So at the end of this 28 days, you've got this group of people, there was 30 people in there and we're all sitting in this circle and the director of the facility comes out and she literally just starts talking about like the next steps of this. And for the first time ever, I realized, holy shit, the odds of somebody actually getting sober from one of these facilities is extremely low and I'll tell you why. So in this circle, they go, you know, look to the person to your right because they're dead in 365 days. And look to the person to your left and they're back in here in 365 days. And I just kind of thought to myself like, whoa, I don't like these odds. Here's a group of 30 people that collectively just paid a million dollars to be in this facility for a month. And you're telling me that we're all, half of us are going to die and almost none of us have a chance of getting sober. I can see your face lit up there. And and, and here's what, dude, here's, so here's what happened. I got out, I realized, okay, I got to transfer all my entrepreneurial skills. And by the way, even as a drinker, I have this ability to hide, right? Like I, I, I still have this ability to earn money secretly but I was showing up to meetings like, you know, with tons of booze in my system, and just had this ability to hide it. And the reality is, is um, I decided, okay, you know what? This industry saved my life. The addiction, the trauma, the PTSD, the depression, the you know, all the things that I had become a part of those communities that I can relate to so much. My life had crumbled to dust, man. Just absolutely crumbled to dust. And so I can relate to anybody that's going through these types of issues. But I'll tell you, I, I immediately made the decision, like, how can I convert my entire life and career to help other people? And my first idea was that I was going to get out of rehab and I was going to find a way to send one person a year into a rehab facility and try to get them sober. And I had no idea what that looked like, but that was my goal in the, in the beginning. And so I got out, I started rebuilding a business that I had neglected I turned this thing into a profitable business within 365 days again. But halfway through that year, I got a call from somebody in the rehab facility and they went, Kiggs, are you sitting down? And I'm just, I'm just like, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? And, and you kind of lose touch with people that were in there. You, you know, you, you create these amazing bonds, but everybody kind of goes their separate ways. And to be honest, but by separate ways, is most people go back into active addiction within weeks of getting out of these facilities. And so on this phone call, this person had announced that six people from my, from my group were dead. And I just thought, holy shit, man, they were absolutely right. And, and so there was a murder, there was a suicide and there was four overdoses. And I, I just thought I was floored after this phone call. And so I immediately thought, okay, so like this idea of sending someone into rehab, This isn't going to be a great way to impact the world. Like it's just simply not going to work. If I do this until I die, you know, maybe I'll be able to put forty people in there, fifty people if I'm really lucky. And um, but only but only ten percent are going to find sobriety and lasting sobriety. And ten percent, by the way, is is literally the highest percentile number that you're going to ever find in any of the research. I think it's actually far less than that. Um, So it's not effective. And so, you know, it took a long time for me to figure out how I was going to impact, you know, this community and how I could really help and use my skill set to help people. Uh, It took another few years because immediately I kind of jumped into, you know, this old habit of mine where it was just like, you know, how quickly can I make the money? How quickly can I get it out? And it was never this way of thinking of just like, how can I be of service to the world? How can I make an impact on the world? It was always this like egotistical kind of way of thinking of how can I get rich and as quickly as humanly possible? And for me at that time, I certainly felt like I was left behind. And so it was definitely in the beginning, it was like, how can I make this comeback financially really quickly? And that way of thinking really got me toiled into some really bad business relationships, with some people that honestly I never ever should have worked with um my CEO for those three years was was a prolific narcissist and it was start and and so honestly I had been at that stage uh off the alcohol for about three years this is two thousand nineteen, but I was starting to crave booze again. I was starting to want i was I was hurt again I my either I was wounded. And I was really trying to figure out how to, how to just stay sober. And I remember being on this same day trip to Vancouver in the summer of 2019. It was a business trip. I was going to do a presentation and I remember coming, actually landing there. I had to take a taxi to Surrey. I had my first ever panic attack in the taxi on the way to this presentation, gasping for air. Literally gasping for air, and it was the first time in my life that I can remember falling into this panic attack and so I certainly relate to people that 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 do have high anxiety panic attacks. I've been there and I know exactly how they feel and I know how scary they are. I had to leave this other business and I had to find something else and I'll tell you, man, this whole idea of you know me not being religious and 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 things started to really shift as I got a little bit more s- sober, not from a religious standpoint, but just more from like a spirituality standpoint. And I'll tell you, man, like one of the most remarkable things ever happened because within two weeks of leaving this business, I get introduced to one of the top mycologists in British Columbia out of nowhere. Literally out of thin air, this guy came into my life. He, and I'm not joking when I say this, it was a knock on the door. This guy's a carpenter uh, during the day. And um, he showed up to, to a rental property that we had and, and he was there to fix the kitchen and I happened to be standing in the kitchen as he entered. And he showed up and, and I, I needed, I was broken. As, as I said, I was looking for more tools. I had tried to get into this AA stuff. It just really didn't fit my mold. It just didn't feel right to me. And this guy, this carpenter, Man, as I learn more about him throughout this week, he he had nothing to his name, man. He went through a big divorce. He lost a business that was worth I mean, close to a million dollars, but you know, 3 or 4 years before this. Then he got a divorce, lost everything, moved into a mobile home with his dog. And but yet this guy was coming to my place with so much energy and so much happiness and such I was so intrigued by this human being. It was one of the first times in my life that I was like, what, what can I learn from this situation? And as it turned out, he was the conduit for me to, to experience my, my very first um, microdose. Because when I got back to Calgary, uh, he had sent me some product. I went and bought a pill press and um, bought, the, bought the gel caps. Bought a grinder, bought a bought a scale, bought all the things to to make microdosing product for myself, and this is in September two thousand nineteen. So you got to remember, this is at least a full year before really the rest of Canada is speaking about microdosing. Mainstream media didn't start talking about this. So kind of middle of twenty twenty, but here's here's what it was for me. So I was I was still had all these loose ends to tie up with my ex two business partners. And um, I had just gotten on the microdosing product, but really just not knowing what to expect, no kind of baseline to, to kind of evaluate my feelings or anything. So, but what, something remarkable happened because on the ninth day on these microdoses, I end up writing a, a three-page comprehensive letter um, that was a phone call to my ex-business partners. And why this is unique is because I've spent my entire career in sales I've been in some very high pressure situations. I have never in my entire lifetime ever picked up a journal and written a phone call. So to me these like these alarm bells are going off going Keegan you're thinking differently. There's something in these medicines that are making you respond differently and think differently. And I'll tell you man, it was fascinating to me because even in the most one of the most expensive rehab facilities in Canada that was based around mindfulness with the best doctors, Um, I never picked up a journal, dude. And here I am on day nine of microdosing, journaling this call. Here's what happened. As soon as I finished writing this, I picked up the phone, I executed that that conversation completely to a T, I got the exit I needed from the business, and all of a sudden here I am, and I'm just like, there's something here that got lit up. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, Josh, or people listening, where your heart just starts to glow, your soul and your spirit are touched in a way that you've never felt before, this this is what I felt. And so I started to go as deep as I possibly could at the time with the research that was available to, to understand these medicines. And because I had just left a business, for the first time in my adult life, I had time on my hands. I didn't have somebody to report to or somewhere to go. And I had all of this time, and I got to tell you, man, time for me is awkward. I like to go, go, go. I like to move. I, I'm all about action. And so when I'm sitting still, often I'm uncomfortable. And so I like to fill my time. And where most people would have taken you know, two or three months and hit the reset button, I, I started diving deep on psilocybin. I wanted to learn everything I possibly could. I still want to learn everything I possibly can. And what ended up happening for me was I started looking at the John Hopkins University study on end of, end of, end of life cancer patient anxiety. And I'll tell you, man, when I started reading this research, this is the most compelling research ever about these end of life cancer patient anxiety cases. And after doing literally one to two doses of macrodose between one and three grams, 85% of the participants came back in the study and said it was the most meaningful experience of their entire lives. And so I was, again, that, that feeling in the heart, like I was just pushed and, and I, I was just so pushed to, to pursue this. And, and so, but I didn't know anything about it, right? Like how do you start a business when you literally don't know enough about anything? So like the business was still a ways away for me. What I wanted to, What I wanted to figure out is, this experience that I had, this insane experience that I had where I was thinking differently, acting differently, responding differently. Um, can I? C- is this gonna work for other people? And so I had this idea of doing this kind of self-guided, um, I guess you can call it a focus group. It's, it, it certainly wouldn't be considered a study, but what I did was I decided to throw this up into the wind, I was going to learn everything I possibly could about psilocybin for the next four months. And then I was going to host a focus group and invite 40 people to attend. I was going to provide the medicines to every single person that attended. And but there was a caveat before anybody started on these meds, they had to fill out a 13 question multiple choice questionnaire to really evaluate their mental health. And so this is what I did. I spent four months of my life. I, I teamed up with somebody with a psychology background in Calgary. We put this questionnaire together. I spent so much try- time trying to get ready for this. And of course the day I go to present is the day the whole country locked down. On that, on that Friday was when, uh, was when everything locked down. So we moved this to an online study. And honestly, dude, um, what I was looking for was I was looking for the ammo to move something like this forward. I don't have a criminal background. I'm not a drug dealer. I've never done anything like this in my entire fucking life. and But I needed the ammunition to move something that, that, that was scary to me forward. And I'll tell you, the results of this study w- were enough to literally make your jaw hit the floor. And at the end of this, we had two people out of the 40 come forward and say, I was on the cusp of suicide. I've tried absolutely everything I possibly could. And I have been to counseling since the age of 14. I'm now 36 years old. And if this study wouldn't have happened, I was exiting this world, okay? So right away, I just thought, holy shit. We we saved a life right, right in the beginning. And I just thought to myself, how is something that is so simple, so simple, something that I put together myself, so just so bloody effective. And why is this not available for people? It didn't make any sense to me. And so that was it. That was the ammo I needed. And, and I had literally 40 testimonials that came back where their lives had been moved at a capacity that they had never really seen before. The, the study and the results are actually available on our website for anybody that wants to check it out. Um, but that's how this whole thing started. So sorry that that took me a long time to get here. But I mean, dude, that's, that's how it began. <laughs> dude,
1: that is just such a powerful story. Like there's a few things there I would love to dive deep on, but I really want to keep moving forward because there are some questions here that I know are going to bring us back. Yeah. So I just want to bring it to you, like just, like just the tenacity and like just, you know, you coming back from like basically like rock bottom from like the depths of hell. It seems. Yeah. Everyone has the depths of hell in their own mind. So I'm just happy to see. You like you're living life now and like you're living your true purpose. And I think you finally, maybe it took all that. Maybe that was part of your journey. That was part of your story. Like that was, 100%. it had to happen for you to get there to now save so many lives and help so many people. And I want to get into this, man. There's so much here when it comes to the actual medicine itself, Um, because it really is medicine, right? People are calling it drugs and stuff. But you know, even if you, yeah. you talk to like uh, Native Americans they have their peyote, which is another psychedelic. They get offended if you call it a drug. It's not a drug. It's medicine. Yeah. It's spiritual medicine totally. for the mind. So first of all, Mind Meds was just the perfect name for it. I'd love to hear like the story about how you came up with the name, got all the branding together. Because like like you said, this is something that was new for you. And it's something that's very scary for a lot of people. They see it as like drugs. But now you're building like this consumer brand around it. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. The
0: name was just one of those things. Like we we had a list going and I I had, again, I had just been to the mindfulness. Uh, well, not just there, but I had gone to a mindfulness rehab, you know, facility and mindfulness techniques were starting to become kind of a part of my life and my routine. You know, I, I just at that stage started to get into some of the breath work. I hadn't gotten into yoga at that time, but I was, I was you know, I was journaling again and I, I just thought... Something with the name mindful, and you nailed it, man, like these these are not drugs. what what classifies a drug is when there is no medicinal value. and I gotta tell you man, that is proven to be wrong. Every single study that's come out has proved that, that the idea that these are drugs completely wrong. So I love the word meds um, and I mean there's there's not much more to that story I, 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 I kind of the second that we that that i had thought about those two words combined i knew it was the one um everything off the list didn't even compare to it yeah that's that's really how it began i would just say that's the perfect name
1: like that's exactly what it is like even so i mentioned this to you before in the call i'm going to talk to people now like listening to this full disclosure i've been taking mind meds for the last like 26 days now this is day 26 not every single day and we could talk about that like maybe how often you should be taking this and stuff like that. I'd love to get into that and let people understand sort of like these different schedules, but you know, I started calling it like meds. I'm like, I'm taking the meds today. And like, I don't know if that's something I would do every single day for like a long period of time, but I just knew like, for me, it was just call something was calling me to do it for at least 30 days. Like there was just something before. And it was so funny because it was maybe a week or two before you and I got connected. I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to microdose. I really want to do it. And I was going to do exactly what you did. I was going to go and like, you know, source my own materials, find the psilocybin mushrooms, and I was going to grind it up and just like take it. But like, you don't really know how much you're going to be taking. There's a bunch of other stuff. And then when we got connected, I was like, okay, like this is like perfect timing. And then you mentioned, Hey, why don't you try this out? So when we chat, we can actually talk about your experience. Now we both had this experience with it. The other thing that really, really blew my mind is the way that you guys have mixed different materials. It's not just pure psilocybin. In fact, one of the uh, blends that I got was your perform blend. And that one is, you know, it's not just psilocybin, but it has like cordyceps and it has a like, ginkgo biloba and all these other nootropics. So it's also a nootropic and. We talked about this before. Maybe this is a good time to get into this where it's like, it's not just for people who are like experiencing anxiety and depression, but it's also for people who want to explore the outer reaches of their mind and they want to actually, you know, maybe do something a little bit more and kind of like break out of the everyday mundanity, which we're really experiencing nowadays in this kind of like COVID era. But I kind of want to get into that because it was like two things for me. It's like, maybe I didn't realize whatever whatever kind of depression or whatever happens during this time of year, especially in Canada, where we're experiencing like, you know, a lot less sunlight, we're spending a lot more time indoors. And then you start feeling a little bit down. Like for me, I always get like seasonal depression, but it's not like real depression, how other people experience it. But I've noticed yeah. by taking this over the last 20 days, it's really helped my mood like extremely well. And then there's the other side of it. Like I mentioned, it was like more of this, like. Uh, I want to call it nootropics, which is, is exactly what it is. And it's really helping you kind of like gain an edge. It's almost like it was replacing my daily coffee, which is, that's a whole other thing with addiction and, and stuff like that. So I want to yeah. get into that. I want to know how you decided to like start building out these little, um, concoctions where it wasn't just purely the, the mushroom, but you wanted to start blending it with other things. I want to know how that kind of started and, and where that uh, came
0: from yeah so we we actually spent, <clears throat> unlike almost everybody else in the industry, <clears throat> not only did we do the study, but we spent a ton of time working with naturopathic doctors, herbologists, Chinese medicine doctors, physicians, psychiatrists, um counselors, therapists. i any single person that I could potentially gain an edge from or learn you know learn from, we went and took those footsteps. And then what we did, was before we brought anything to the marketplace. So like all this conversation previously that we're having kind of started in September, 2019. We didn't end up launching anything into the market until January uh, January of 2020. No, January of this year. So it took us literally a year and a half before we even brought anything into the marketplace. Like there was so much behind the scenes work that we were doing to try to bring the very best product forward that we possibly could. And so that's how it all started. Like I, it was, it was conversations with my herbologist, my naturopath, and we started looking at nootropic blends um, through conversations that happened with real professionals. So this wasn't just like Keegan's or or Mindful Meds ideas. Like we were really drawn into a lot of the research and a lot of the um, the professionals that that we could tap into to to really create the best formulas that we could create.
1: I find that so fascinating, you know, especially with uh, uh, a podcast like this mind meld uh, I'm always interested in those kind of things that you can do to kind of upgrade your mind. Right. We do it with software. And what I've found really interesting through taking this, the medicine and the way that I've been kind of describing to people, I'm like, you know what? It feels like I'm installing a software. Do you, do you feel that too? Like, it's almost like it's a little software. So I always view the brain as almost like a computer that is running all these programs all the time. You had obviously a really interesting pro- program running when it came to alcoholism, people have programs all the time when it comes to addiction, right? It's just running on loop, running on loop. That's sort of what, um, any kind of anxiety or depression is too, right? Again, I'm not a doctor, but it's just kind of like the way I view it. It's a like kind of a little connection I find there. And what I found with the psilocybin, especially with the microdosing, We'll get into macro dosing too, that's a whole other thing. But with the micro dosing, it's like like software. It's like you're installing a software and it just changes the way your computer's running. It's almost like, for me, when I mix that with uh, mindfulness meditation, I mix it with doing a really nice strenuous workout or I mix it with journaling, as you'd mentioned earlier, that's where I found the most, the most impact. So we haven't even really talked about it too much um, from the time that I started until now. So that's kind of the thing, because you mentioned that to me, in a chat, you're like, you know what? Honestly, man, it's not a magic pill And for anyone listening to us. It's not what it is. It's not what I'm trying to say either. I don't think that's what you're trying to get at either. But it's like, when you mix that with other activities is when it gets really interesting for me, I journaled, like I I created, like I'm huge into notion, this like tool to create like little workflows. And I created my own little trip journal. So I'm like, I'm going to just journal every time I do this. I want to know like what is the experience like? What, uh, how intense was it? What insights did I gain? How did I feel? So this became a tool that really helped me bring those things to the forefront. Otherwise I don't usually journal that much. I don't go that deep, but there's something about this. that just kind of opened my mind up to talk about it.
0: So yeah.
1: it's been incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's actual raw science that, like, what you're trying to explain. So, what, what mushrooms have been proven to do now is, is what's called neuroplasticity or the ability to repair neurons in the brain that have been damaged. And so, you can actually start creating these new neural pathways, which is why we start to develop these, these other ways of thinking. And when you combine them with the other nootropics, when you actually combine them with things like organic lion's mane, which we do. They're, they work very differently. It's still on its own and, and lion's mane on their own are extraordinarily effective. But when they combine the synergy between them actually elevates their capacity to, to help heal in these ways. And so that's neuroplasticity, just that ability to reconnect neurons in the brain and just and, um, and start creating new neural pathways and new ways of thinking. And I mean, if you'd like, I can give you a real brief analysis as to what's actually happening within the brain. And so there, there's a there's a doctor called Robin Carhart-Harris who's based out of the Imperial College of London, and a few years ago they started to really try to and, and he's one of the pioneers of this space by the way he's literally listed as I think if he's not the number one most influential player in this globally psychedelics I mean uh, he's definitely in the top five, but what their research center tried to do was. They were really interested to figure out what, what exactly is happening within the brain when, when, when psilocybin is 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 involved. And what they originally thought was going to happen was they thought all these fireworks were going off in the brain and, and things, were, things were, you know, exploding and happening so quickly. And what they actually ultimately found was that th- what's happening is the cerebral blood flow in the brain is actually starts to get shortcutted as it goes to this, what, what, you know, neuroscience calls the grand central station of your brain, which is called the default mode network. And the default mode network is essentially like when you're doing nothing, right? When you're lying on the couch and you've got no, you know, controller in your hand, you don't have your phone in your hand, you don't have anything like that, you go into this default mode. And for people that have anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, uh, eating disorders, people that are very egocentric, this is where they live their lives. They live in this little part of their brain that is, that is overacting and it's firing at all times and it's confusing you. But all of a sudden psilocybin comes along and it starts to slow that blood flow. And what ends up happening is the other three portions of your brain are forced to start communicating with one another. And that's, you know, that's the most fascinating part of this research is like they found out that psilocybin actually doesn't explode things in the brain, it slows things down. It quiets this portion of your brain down, and because you're quieting that portion of your brain down, the rest of your brain is communicating with with with, with itself. Really, it, and and there's other effective ways to calm down the default mode network. Meditation is one. Breathwork is another. But the most effective of them all, and the quickest, psilocybin mushrooms.
1: Yeah, I've had a friend who actually has a an app. I'm going to connect you with him. He has an app where you can basically track your uh, microdoses. It's called Houston. And um, cool. he was one of the uh, inspirations why I created my own little journal because I just wanted to have it in my own little system. But yeah. he he calls it um, meditation in a pill. He's like, it's not so different from meditation.
0: So I was just going to mention to you about the default mode network. So if you have anxiety or you have depression, your default mode network is firing at a whole different level than people without. And so... What often happens is we get into these negative feedback loops. And I can tell you, I was in a negative feedback loop in my own brain for almost nine years. I could not snap out and think about a positive future for my life. And, you know, I think if these tools were around in 2016, which they were, but they weren't they weren't studied at this capacity, you know, I I honestly, I I think there would have been, you know, some hope in exploring mushrooms potentially before I went into rehab or at least using mushrooms within the rehabilitation capacity while you're in one of these facilities. And I really, truly think that that's the future of rehab. Um, That's certainly my end goal with this entire project. It's never been about to create a supplement company. It's always been about this ability to to build a community where we can talk and we can share and we could, explore ideas together and we can help one another by being vulnerable. But my end goal for this entire project is, is to start building out uh, rehabilitation facilities that actually use these medicines with in conjunction with, with psychotherapy.
1: Yes, and I think that's where all of the the real, real positive outcomes come from, right? Like you can have a recreational experience and take like as much mushrooms as you want. You can have a crazy insight. You can even like, shake hands with God, as people say, um, yeah. but it doesn't exactly mean you're going to get the same outcome that you want. And from what I've read, um, so the main book that I've read um, around all this is How to Change Your Mind. Not sure if you've yeah. read that. Oh, yeah, dude, that was, that was yeah. a
0: staple when I started. That was the one of the first tools Good. That I read. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. And it, yeah. it talks about all these things. So I think anyone like listening, if they want to dive deeper, it's a great book to get started because it talks about like the history and then also like the prohibition area and how it's come back full circle and then his own experiences, Michael Pollan's experiences with it. But it was exactly that, man. It's really interesting how he talks about the psychedelic therapy, psychedelic assisted therapy model. Yeah, It's, you know, it's psycho psychedelics assisting therapy. So a lot of times people, um, from what I've heard, I haven't done this yet. Although I did it with the, uh, the mind meds a bit, which is like, you know, putting on, um, something to cover your eyes, anything to cover your eyes, you know, some kind of eye shades and putting on music and like having that yeah. as part of the therapy. Then after coming out of that, speaking about, um, some of the experiences that you felt. So have you done anything like that? Have you done any kind of like psychedelic assisted therapy? Have you done these kind of macro doses? Do you have any experience with this too?
0: I totally do, man. And you know, really what, what I find and what this, what the research has found is that very dissimilar to your traditional SSRI or antidepressant. um, which, which are suppressants. <clears throat> so they, they literally, these SSRIs, which by the way, there's 38 to 40 of them on the market. Very, very, very little evidence that, scientific evidence that any of these are truly effective for actually healing the root cause of what is actually making you have the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD. What it does, and it's really good at, is putting this, this lid on it. So you, you just kind of block the shit out. But what the difference is with mushrooms is they actually go to that root cause. They go to that trauma. They make it so much more accessible that that veil kind of drops. And you're able to access these, these, you know, the root cause of what is going on. And so when you combine finding that root cause with the mushrooms and speaking it out with an actual therapist, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I've got six therapists that, that I know personally All actively exploring this within their own practices, all six of them have told me that this is the biggest breakthrough in mental health history. And so I want to make something very clear. Like I told you when we were kind of just speaking about this, this isn't the magic bullet. This is not the magic pill that is going to change your life. But when you combine this medicine with other mindfulness techniques, which is, you know, which is the therapy, which by the way, man, like, my I I had to get back into therapy because of this this narcissistic abuse that I was experiencing with my last colleague I had to go right back in there because like dude I felt like I was worthless this person made me feel just absolutely insignificant and um and so I was lost again and so what I found was when I went into these therapy sessions in the beginning with no mushrooms I would you know my, my my guy would hit hit the button you know, I got one, one hour in this session with him. He literally hits, hits yeah, some type of clock and it goes off at the end. But I just remember being at like minute 40 and only just starting to like tippy toe my way into some of the things that I really needed to, th- you know, to address. Yeah. And, but then, you know, months later after I discovered the, the microdosing, dude, I was getting into things in minute three. Like I, I, I wasn't wasting any time. I was diving straight into the things that I needed to address while I was in that seat, while I was paying my $200 a session. And so listen, this isn't the magic bullet, but this is a tool that can truly help you heal that deep wounded trauma that many of us have this ability to run from. This is going to highlight that, the, you know those, the, those, those traumas. And so you asked about macrodosing. Do you want to get into that now? So <clears throat> microdosing, just so everybody's aware, is, is, is generally completely subperceptual. So just like what you're talking about, Josh, and by the way, none of this, w- we haven't talked about your experience whatsoever on these meds since, since I sent you a package you know, five weeks ago. I was excited to explore this with you on this call, and I wanted to leave it to keep it completely authentic so that the world could hear this at the same time I was hearing the results. So I'm excited to talk about that. Um in a moment. But you know, the macro dosing trips are something that are not subperceptual. So this, so this is, is really, you know, this is going to take you to a place where you're going to have what's considered a true psychedelic experience. And you know, like you said, some people say, you know, they talk with God, they can they can find the answers of the universe through these things. And sometimes the macrodosing experiences can be extraordinarily challenging for people. And That's what people kind of categorize or label as being a bad trip. So one of the most important parts of the new psychedelic research and really the major difference between using these substances in the sixties is that now we're starting to put way more intention behind using these substances. And, you know, you talk about the seven S's, you know, set and setting being the first two, what you, what, what the first, what they mean by set is your mindset. And, you, you, you know, how physically capable are you at that point in time to go in and, and, and explore the deep rooted trauma zones that are going to come up within these within these macrodosing experiences? So are you physically capable, mentally healthy enough to to explore these things? That's something that you're going to have to figure out for yourself because the mushrooms aren't going to let you run like the alcohol right? The alcohol lets you run and hide and camouflage and 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 suppress, whereas the mushrooms are actually going to take you to that place that you actually really need to go to, to find significant healing.
1: Yeah. And you know, you just brought up the two of the seven S's, set and setting. And I think like yeah. traditionally, like I know from like my, my research and like even those books and just from my own personal experience, set and setting is a kind of a staple in psychedelic culture. And that makes sense. I'm glad that we have that. We have like these kind of rules around here. I didn't know that there were seven until I came across the blog post and sort of the set the seven S's uh, page on the mindful med site. So maybe you can kind of like give us a little um, a little tidbit on those seven S's because I've only ever been aware of the first two.
0: Yeah. So setting set and setting are the the two biggest without a question. I mean, what there's, as I said, set is really your mindset. And so are you mentally prepared to go into these trauma zones? And if you're not mentally prepared, that's okay. It's, you know, it's, you wanna make sure that you're finding these mushrooms at the right time for you as an individual. There's no race for this. The mushrooms are always gonna be there. So don't feel like you need to just hop into a macrodose. One of the things that I love about microdosing <clears throat> is that what we find is that most people that get into microdosing, start to kind of bridge that gap between microdosing and macrodosing. So they get they get their feet wet, they get an understanding as to what's to come, they start to get a little bit more ready and prepared. But I'll tell you, there, there is an enormous, um, I mean, there's so much research that suggests that finding a psychedelic coach or a therapist to help you work through this is a really, really good idea. And your coach or therapist can really help you get into the right mindset. So before you even take the substance, you know, you can team up with a coach that is going to just make sure that you get yourself mentally prepared for what's to come. And I'll tell you what's interesting. and, and, And this is all antidotal kind of research that I have seen is that in almost every case that someone has one of these bad trips, it's not a bad trip. What the mushrooms are trying to do is they're trying to teach you. And if you take the lessons that are learned in these these bad trips, you team up with a a psychotherapist, you team up with a coach, they can actually help you take the lessons that are learned in the bad trip and they can help you try to repurpose that and integrate into your life. So to me, there's really no such thing as a bad trip because even the bad trips are going to teach us what we need to know. And so... Um, but also they can be extraordinarily frightening. And so, you know, many people have, you know, have experienced a bad trip. I, I don't know what the odds are, but they're very, they're very low, to be honest, to, to experience a bad trip, I would suggest that it's probably a one in 10, if not even less. But the reality is, is like I said, I mean, you, you can avoid these bad trips by making sure that your mindset is in a place that you're prepared to travel, you're, you're prepared. So the second one is setting, <clears throat> and setting is very important. So, like, w- what I mean by setting is making sure that you've got your environment in a situation where you're comfortable. And so, if you're a parent, um, you don't want your kids racing in after school, flying through the door, and and those thoughts racing into your head as you you know as you're having a trip. Um, you want to be prepared, and you, you want your setting to be. Um, you know, for me personally, I, I, I like a really clean, cozy environment. I like to light candles. I like to sage myself and, and, and my environment before I do any of this. I like to bring in crystals, believe it or not. Never thought I'd ever say this ever, but but the reality is is, yeah, crystals can be very effective to creating that spiritual element that can really help guide your trip. <coughs> so... That's set and setting. And if anybody wants to learn more, please head over to our website because we do go deep on this and we're actually just about to launch. We've just recorded. Um, I don't want to call it a masterclass because, but it, but it's just a very, it's a one and a half hour. It's with one of the, what one of not a therapist, but a coach that I know very, very well personally. And um, she can help walk you through this. And we're going to have that on the website within the next week or two. So that's set and setting. Any questions there at all?
1: No, that that's a really great roundup of those two. That's perfect. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and then the third S is substance. And so, you you know, the, and this goes for any psychedelic. So whether it's LSD, you mentioned peyote, um, whether this is, you know, mushrooms or psilocybin, um, you want to know what substance you're using. And so I think it's very beneficial to have a scale. It's very beneficial to make sure that you are, you know, for, for many people, you just kind of want to tippy-toe your way to some of these larger doses. Um, the, the, you know, it's considered to be a heroic dose if you do more than five grams. To me, that's that's where I find lots of my own growth. So I, I do when I do, when I do this, maybe once a quarter... It's always at that kind of heroic dose level, but no need to get there right away. Um, generally speaking, if you want a psychedelic trip, you're going to have to do between one and one and a half grams at the very least. Um, but there's all sorts of ways that you can consume this. You could, you could grind it up and put it into a tea. You can take it in a pill format. Some people just, some people put it into a smoothie. So that's what they, that's that S. It's the substance itself. Um, the next one is sitter. And man, there, there's a real place in the world for, you know, having what they call a trip center, or somebody that can just literally keep their eyes on you, keep you calm, just in case that bad trip was to happen. Um, I personally think that being, being asked to be a trip center is literally one of the highest forms of service that you can provide for somebody just as a support pillar to make sure that if anything happens or something kind of gets out of hand... Somebody's there just to bring you back to your breathing, bring you back to reality. And one of the fasc- fascinating thing about mushrooms is you actually have the ability many times to snap out of it and then snap back into it. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's what that S is. It's just having that support pillar, that, that sitter. And um, there's lots of courses out there. If you wanna become a trip sitter, if you wanna help support somebody, please go and, and take one of the courses. There's a company called Field Trip that offers this. Um, and we've got lots of support stuff on our website that, that can speak to some of this, or watch our macro dosing. I'm just gonna label it as a masterclass, but I hate that word. Can't think of anything else to use in this situation. Um, and then the next one is session. And so, you know, these, these mushroom uh, trips can literally last anywhere from two and a half hours to six hours. So you wanna make sure that you've got a large pocket of time where you're in a safe environment, you're surrounded by people that love you, or just even just, just in a good mental phrase, lots of people do this on their own, as you mentioned, with music and and um, and <clears throat> putting putting something over your eyes can be very effective. That's kind of where I'm at with this now. Like I, I feel very comfortable doing that. But the next S, and this is a this is kind of one of the forgotten S's, and it's it actually might be one that we actually just added, um, but it's spirituality. And I'll tell you the mushrooms literally have the ability to read your vibrational frequency. And so you, humans actually have the ability to block out the effects of psilocybin. So there's been many times especially in the beginning when I when I started to explore this I have ADHD which we'll talk about as well. <clears throat> but I had I actually overthought it to the capacity that I I was able to actually block the the mushroom experience itself. So while everybody else was having a mushroom trip, somehow I was able to block this. And what I came to understand was that because I was afraid of the mushrooms, and I was, I've always been just kind of a scared guy when it comes to drugs. Like I, I never, like many people, you know, losing, losing full control was something that I was always worried about. And But when I started to really respect the mushrooms and I stopped being scared and and actually spent my time with the journal, setting my intentions and and, and creating a mantra, um, is when the mushrooms actually started to to work for me. And so spirituality is one that I, 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 I like to add to this list. And then lastly, it's just your situation. Kind of similar to to your setting, you know you just want to make sure you're doing this at the right time when you're feeling super cozy and and you're not forced you're not rushed there's no there's never a rush when it comes to mushrooms this isn't something that everybody should race out and explore I think this is something that everybody should race out and research because this has the ability to completely change your life but I also think that everybody has a responsibility to go out and get educated, know what's coming and make sure that you put your right foot forward um, to have the best experience possible. So those are the yeses. I love that. And I
1: love that expanded um, just list more than just set and setting because that really is only the tip of the iceberg. And I love that you included spirituality and it really seems like... It was the mushrooms or at least this experience and this journey that has brought you back into your spirituality i love that like you even mentioned like bringing crystals a lot yeah. of people think it's like oh woo woo and all that stuff but like when you go down this rabbit hole you start realizing other things things start really opening up um yeah so i love that you brought in the spiritual aspect of it because that is a big part for me i i don't do this stuff too recreationally especially if it's going to be a macrodose. it's always a spiritual setting So I love that you've added that into the list. And, and what would you say for people who are not spiritual at all? I mean, they might still get something out of it, but do you think this could like rekindle that flame for people who are not spiritual
0: at all? I think there's a very, very strong likelihood. And and you got to remember, like even just looking at the research from John Hopkins, you've got the end of life cancer patients that are literally on the cusp of passing away and. I can tell you many of, you know, even from my own situation where I'm talking about my cousin, Ryan, I don't think he had this full connection to the other side, the spirituality, the religious side to him. But I can tell you, you know, going into one of these prolific trips, these like heroic doses, you do get the opportunity to to feel more spiritual. You do have this connection to the universe that it's tough to ignore. So the answer to that, I think, is yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too, man. I think it's something that you don't really know till you experience. And again, I think we'll circle us back into like you know, it might be scary to jump into that. Like you said, there's no need to rush. Um, and sometimes the best time to just do it is like after you've built up some experience, like microdosing. You know, just doing a little bits at a time. That's a great way to start. I personally just jumped right into the deep end. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I had some of the moments like said some of those like dark turns, but you work through it and looking back on it, those are really helpful, um, things in my life that I've really brought to, um, to my life, like my everyday life.
0: So I'm excited let's, about let's it. Let's dive into that just briefly. Like let your listeners know, like what, what did, what did you experience? Like how, when was it, how much did you do? What yeah. was your, what was your setting?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Man. So the first time I did it was with my roommates. In university, when I was downtown Toronto, I did about three and a half grams. So I think I thought it was like a sweet spot. I'm like, you know, I want to do at least a threshold amount. I don't know about heroic for the first time, but I'm like three and a half. That sounds like a good amount to me. I don't know why yeah. I had some friends tell me like that would be a, a good amount. So that's what I did. And, um, you know, we, it was supposed to be like a recreational thing. Like we're just like, oh, let's just do it. We didn't really know much about it, but I was like getting really spiritual at the time. I was listening to a lot of, uh, Jason Silva, if you're, uh, familiar with him. He has yeah. a, a YouTube series called, um, I think he recently na- changed the name of it, but it was, uh, he had this YouTube series at a time. Uh, I can't remember, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I was like watching them right before I tripped. So like, I was like watching these videos. I think it was called shots of awe. That's what it's called. And it literally is that. So these are, like three to five minute or less videos that just bring you into the state of awe. Basically they are mushroom trips without the mushrooms, but I was watching them right before we tripped. So then as I, this was coming on, I just remember like the feeling like, like that awe feeling, that's all I can really say. Like the first thing that happened was we went to uh, a botanical garden in Toronto called Allen gardens in the middle of a Whoa. crazy snowstorm. So wow. this was the weirdest thing to me I felt like we were literally in this geodesic dome in a different universe. Yeah just shielded by the elements. It felt like we were on Mars. And if I went outside, I would be like outside on Mars where there's no uh, air and I would die. So I'm like, we have to be in this dome. It was super weird. It was like a crazy, crazy storm. So just going outside was like this extremely, extremely insane experience. So then being in this place as the mushrooms really started peaking, I I went off on my own. I had like four roommates. They went off on their own. I went off to this little corner near like the cactus area. and that started like freaking me out. So I was like, okay, now let's go back into this more like uh yeah. natural, uh, flowy, uh, zone. It was kind of like a tro- subtropical era area. And then I put on my headphones and I started listening to my iPod at the time. So this is the time of iPods yeah. and, um, I started listening to music and I just had this amazing playlist on that I knew would like put me in like a really good, um, like just mental framework that would allow me to just feel just like love. I'm like, this is like a love playlist. I'll just feel really good. And then what I experienced next was so wild. It felt like I experienced from the big bang to now, like, I just felt like this rush of like where I am right now is like in this thread of just human existence and just like history. And like, you know, there's going to be billions and trillions of years after us. And there's been billions of years before us. I just felt like right in the middle of like this crazy timeline, all from like the world coming together to like. Steve Jobs and his teams creating the iPod to like the artists making the music and then that music going onto the iPod and then that coming into my ears. I was like, whoa, this is just like a really interesting experience. I just felt like at one with like human like
0: progress and civilization. It was the craziest experience. That's amazing, man. <clears throat> I love that. And uh and brave as well. Like going was, was this like a public setting or were you guys was yeah that's another it? thing it was yeah. a public yeah that's
1: not something i would usually recommend doing but it was right yeah it was really interesting
0: you, you mentioned one thing that i missed that is so important to this and it's music and i gotta tell you like back to kind of like the, the the mushrooms being able to read the vibrational frequency they they dance with the right music with the right playlist and so I, I would highly recommend that if you are to do a macro dosing trip is to put some type of really nice playlist together because the mushrooms respond so beautifully to to the right music and they'll they'll dip you in in, in a flow state if, if you get the music right and this is something I've had to play along with around with because you know there's some beautiful house music, some lighthouse music but like when I started to like, play the manifestation playlist or like some of the John Hopkins, you can actually get the playlist that they're using in their psychedelic therapies. It changed the whole mushroom experience for me. So music is very, very important.
1: Yeah. Wow. I didn't know they have that. It's like on Spotify, like they made it uh, public. It is. Uh, yeah. I
0: mean, it's available through just Google it, man. It's uh cool. um, the last one I did about a month and a half ago. It's I don't know if it was the John Hopkins playlist, but it was a psychotherapist playlist that somebody had put together. And um it was absolutely beautiful. That's
1: amazing. Well, I'll tell you right now what what I've been doing. So, and this will kind of bring us back into like the the microdosing experience now yeah. over the last couple of weeks. What I've been doing is um, and I'd love for you to kind of like build on top of this, of like the different, um, schedules you can do. But my schedule that I did for microdosing was five days on and two days off. So I just like kind of jumped into it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it on Saturday, Sunday, cause I know I'm not going to be working and I can have like really free experiences. And then Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, am I going to do like a, a smaller dose? Um, and then Thursday, Friday, I'm going to take off to kind of like reset my tolerance and then Saturday, Sunday I can do a, the higher dose again. So yeah. as you know, and I'll let people know now, I, I got the two um, the two blends you have. I got Perform and Inspire. So Perform is only 50 milligrams. So that's very, very little from what I've, I mean, comparatively compared to what most people yeah. do. And then the Inspire yeah. is 250, which is actually a little bit more. Like when I I was posting on Twitter yeah. that I was doing this and I mentioned that it was 250, Some people were like that's like a strong microdose man usually i only do like 100 or like 125 so i'm like yeah yeah, it is it is it is sub perceptual you can really perceive it but it's not like a macrodose by any means so what i've been doing on the saturday sunday is after about an hour of taking it when i know it's going to really start ramping up um and it's kind of like sub perceptual i've just i would have a nap i would go on the couch i'd put on a playlist i'd do exactly what we said i'd like cover my eyes put on really good headphones and just vibe and like When I come out of that after about like half an hour, even there's something about it. You just feel like you said, the vibrational frequencies, you feel like you've been cleaned almost like you feel like those bad vibrations kind of got cleaned in your back on,
0: on an interesting vibration. Totally. I, and so Dr. James Fadiman, he's a Harvard professor, one of the godfathers of psychedelics, just so everybody's aware, he clarifies that a, that a microdose is anywhere from 100 milligrams to 400 milligrams. So all of our products play within that threshold and um, all of them are considered true micronoses Some are a little bit stronger, as you said, but important to note, you know, when you're talking about the, uh, the perform blend, which is only 50 milligrams, which is one of a gram, by the way, um, this is purely self-perceptual. So like, if you are a nine to five employee, if you have children, if you work in a law firm, if you work in, you know, literally you're not going to feel this. It's very much considered to be a vitamin for the brain. Um, nobody that we have ever uh, come across during this journey of, you know, of, of, you know with, with our community has ever felt any of the 50 milligrams. So if, you know, we, we, that's why we have kind of the different dosages to work with different people's thresholds and different people's um, ability to 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 want to go either really low dose or or, or kind of more to the higher dose, but both of them really have a, a a place in this because I'll tell you, man, we built our business on 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 the modern med, which was is is the one hundred milligram. That's what we did the study on. Um, during the study, all of the participants did the five days on, two days off. And you mentioned something really interesting there that I think we should talk about is just that tolerance. Mushrooms, much more than any other substance in the world, are your body builds a tolerance to it extraordinarily quickly. And so this is why mushrooms are, are literally the exact opposite of addiction, because what ends up happening is if you have, let's just say, a macro dosing experience on a Sunday and you do three and a half grams on a Sunday and you go off and you journey and you travel and you try to do three and a half grams on the Monday, you are not, you, you, you'll you still see like, you know, flashy lights and maybe some, but you're not gonna go off into this other other realm of of the universe. And if you do it on the third day, you will feel nothing. It, it, it'll be like you've actually done none. And so it's very, very important when whenever, whatever schedule you choose, and honestly, I don't think any of the research that's come out has suggestion that one is better than another. But I'll tell you, if, if your mental health is at a place where you, know, you, f- you feel comfortable, you're not on an SSRI, you're not coming off an antidepressant, we really direct people towards that kind of five days on and two days off. But it's so important to take those two days off because if you go into that sixth day, you're not gonna, th- there's no medicinal benefit there. You actually have to reset that tolerance. So really, really important to note. And, you know, I know one of the questions that you wanted to ask was, was about addiction and, and, and are these things addictive? And, and the answer to that is they're not. And, and it's, it's for those reasons that I've just explained. But even actually when they, when they did this in a scientific lab, when they looked at um, a mice and a rat study, on one of the drips in, in this mice study, they had cocaine. So it was like a cocaine water drip. And in the other one, they had a mushroom, psilocybin mushroom drip. (laughs) And what they found was the mice that drank from the cocaine drip would come back time and time and time and time again until they died. And the mice that went to the psilocybin drip would only go to it once and they would never come back again. And so mushrooms are the safest and literally mushrooms are the safest of any of the the drugs that are available on the marketplace today. David Nutt did a study in 2015 where they looked at, um, this is a fascinating study, you can be found uh, in our microdosing guide, which which is free, it's available on our website. Um, And you can actually look at this study, but they looked at, you know, a list of kind of 20 of the top narcotics in the world. And what the study was based around was, it was based around the harm that this drug does to yourself, but also the harm that it does to other people. And so, you, do you want to take a guess at what the number one drug in the world for self-harm and, 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 and for harm to other people is? What's that? It's not even close, by the way. Alcohol. By a fucking landslide, alcohol is the worst drug known to man when it comes to uh, harm to yourself and harm to other people, even more so than heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamines. Yes. And as the list goes along, you get to number 16 or so, and that's cannabis. And, and then as you, as you go down and down and down and down at the baseline, the most safe drug in the entire world for yourself and harm to others is mushrooms. And so it's only a matter of time until these are fully legalized. It's it, it literally the safest drug in the world. Um, and I hate to use that drug word, but this is, this is how the study, um, framed it all. So yeah, it's a fascinating study. I think everybody should take a moment and check it out. Wow. Okay. That's interesting.
1: So I want to dive deep into this man. Uh, obviously I want to get into the legalities of it and like, you know, running a business with this kind of stuff, but even just before that you brought up the whole addiction thing and you're so right. I mean, you, you just talked about it. You've struggled for years with like actual physical dependence with, with alcohol. And if you wanna talk about addictive substances, what about the one that's most used by everybody pretty much on planet earth, which is caffeine. That is insidious as fuck. I didn't realize, so I just finished this chapter from Michael Pollan's newest book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, that shit is insidious. The feeling that you get in the morning of like waking up and even before that, when you feel groggy, that's actually from your caffeine from the day before. So what it's doing is the problem that you're solving that morning is actually the problem that was caused by the exact same drug the day before. So it's this insidious loop. It's like, it's creating the problem and giving you the solution that's fucked up, but it makes us really productive as humans. So, you know, we get it for free at work. We get it for free at restaurants and it's just like perpetuated in, in our society, but it's insane. And then there's weed, right? Like we didn't even really get into that because like people might see microdosing very similar to like weed, like people right now are using weed for you yeah. know, for uh, depressing, for for antidepressants, basically. I have a friend that he was getting medicinal for, like, you know, kind of because he didn't want to use SSRIs and stuff like that. It helps yeah. with anxiety, but it can also cause anxiety. One of the things I noticed over the last couple weeks was on the weekend I would smoke, I'd vaporize weed once in a while. It's so fucking readily available, especially in Canada. Like on my block alone, I'm in Queen West in Toronto. There's the most amount of dispensaries here than I think anywhere in the world. There's more than any like. Starbucks in, in the city, like probably like wow. dozens more than there are Starbucks, but it's easy to get. Yeah. But what I realized yeah. is when I was on that, I would smoke even just a little bit, like not a lot. I would yeah. be like anxious. And like, you know, people feel that when they smoke weed, they get anxious or like they have like edibles or something. I never once felt that on the mindful meds. Not once. I felt just peace and like well-being every single time.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's remarkable because cannabis is mentioned in the study. And so is, so is caffeine. And, and honestly, both of those were rated much, much higher than mushrooms. I mean, Hey, listen, I, I love cannabis. I, I, cannabis is a part of my, my life. I don't smoke it during the day. I smoke it a little bit in the evenings because I got diagnosed with ADHD during this process of starting this company. I was, I found myself trying to go to sleep and all of a sudden, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm doing laps in my kitchen with my journal, trying to like write notes. I could not fall asleep, dude. Wow. And it wasn't like racing thoughts of like, oh, the world's gonna end. It was like mostly exciting thoughts about the future and trying to like pencil them out. Um, and so anyways, I got diagnosed with ADHD and, and what I decided to do was treat the ADHD with microdosing. And with a little bit of cannabis in the evenings. And for me, it's been extraordinarily effective. I'll tell you that when I had my psychiatrist appointment, which you know, what ends up happening if, if you think you might have ADHD, you go to your MD, they give you this, they give you this take-home test. If you score high enough on this take-home test, they set you up with an appointment with a psychiatrist. And psychiatrists are the ones that actually diagnose or prescribe medication to people. And so I got actually prescribed Vivance. And I got so lucky, dude, because the day I got prescribed the Vivance, I was over the moon because I just thought, oh, finally, I'm going to have a solution to this. And I had been going, I've got two friends from high school that both became addicts. And um, we started having lunch once, once a month just to make sure, just as, you know, accountability buddies. And it was amazingly effective for me. And so the night that I actually got prescribed this, we had, we had plans to go for Wings. And so I show up at this WINGS and I go, boys, I'm so pumped. I just got diagnosed with ADHD. I'm hopping on this Vyvanse. And both of them looked at me and they go, dude, stay away. Both of us. So what they ended up doing was they both got prescribed the Vyvanse and then they ended up abusing it. And one of the two of them, who is also, like I said, an addict. By the way, 95% of addicts that go into a rehab facility have ADHD. And so I... It's but both of these guys had ended up getting this prescription from their doctors, abusing the living shit out of this, getting incredibly addicted. And um and so I thought, oh whoa, I'm so glad this happened because I was gonna go fill out this script tomorrow. But I know, but I also know my behavior. And I'm not I'm humble enough to say that if you put something in front of me that's addictive, I'm gonna abuse it. I know who I am, man. And uh, and so I just immediately thought, holy shit! I'm going to walk down another dark path by something prescribed, and, um, and and so I just decided to say, okay, no, like I've got to figure this out. And remarkably, you know, some of the most astounding research that's come out around ADHD is this can be not for all types of ADHD. There's many types of ADHD, but for some, uh, microdosing can be extraordinarily effective. Um. But there are big differences you're right man cannabis and even for myself i've been in phases of my life where i'll have an ounce of weed in my cupboard and I'll, it, weed's interesting for me because i'd be on this podcast right now dude and i bet even if i smoked a joint before this you'd have no idea right like so i have this ability just like to, to function at a high level with the cannabis in me and i think that's the adhd but i've also had phases where i can blast through an ounce of weed in, in a week and a half, like like I can, oh, totally. And so weed can be addictive. It's very different, beautiful substance. I love it to death, tons and tons of scientific data that supports that that this is obviously very much so a medicine. So I'm not knocking it, but I am saying that, it's, that it is addictive.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. is. Um, and it's dependent too, right? People just become dependent on it more than anything with a crush. And I like, you know, with with mushrooms like you said it, it kind of loses this edge as you take it more so you need to have these kind of breaks and like even me after like i'm doing doing this 30 days even though i'm taking breaks i'm probably yeah. gonna stop for like a couple months and like i might even like wait a little bit for my tolerance completely go down and yeah. do a macrodose and then later in the new year do microdosing again so what would you say is like the best way to do that for someone like me, like um, I do it more for performance, but you know, in the in the winters, I would definitely say it helps so much with seasonal depression. Like I've already noticed that we're just getting into winter. So I can definitely see myself doing another stint in like February or something in Canada. But for you, like how often would you say is a good time to to do it? Whether it's a 30 day stint, lo- less, more, then how often would you pocket those?
0: I What I th- really think you should do is always follow your intuition, always follow your gut. I mean, and, and honestly, the Microdosing Institute out of the Netherlands, which actually is ran by Dr. James Fadiman, who I mentioned, what they recommend is following a microdosing routine, a scheduled routine, a protocol for 10 to 12 weeks. And at the end of that 10 to 12 weeks, that's when you take the reset. So they suggest going to reset for two to six weeks at that point in time. So use it for three months. Uh, reevaluate. Take a little break. Take a pause. And this goes for any supplement, by the way. They, they, I mean, any supplement that you're going to want to take, you're going to want to eventually take a break from. And um, but that is what they suggest, and so that's kind of what what I follow, to be completely honest. And and that's kind of what we teach um, is is really just pulling from from their resources, from all the research that they've conducted. And so just to reiterate, kind of eight to twelve weeks on a microdosing protocol. Two to six week pause, and then reevaluate from there. But always, always, always do what's best for you. One of the most fascinating things about this journey for me <clears throat> has been discovering that this isn't just a one size fits all. You cannot categorize, um, you know, one person's protocol or routine or tolerance or the way they respond to this. Everybody's slightly different, and it's fascinating to me to to have conversations with people that have, you know, these these different responses to these meds and certainly at the different dosages levels. Um, but I always just coming back, like coming back to do what works for you. Right. Um, the research is still so young, the industry is still so young, but the, the initial reports are coming back and saying kind of just what I just told you.
1: Right. And again, like you said, it's so new, like a lot of this stuff had been canned for years since like the fifties and sixties, right. There was like this little dark age with like no real research and. I think it's so cool. I, mean, I know you said you, you love cannabis. So do I. Like, it's an awesome substance and it's an amazing yeah. plant. It's incredible, really. It's am- And as Canadians, you know, like, this is it's part yeah. of our culture now. But like, it's it's interesting that you kind of went into this route of something a little bit more fringe because like from the business side, it almost would have been easier to start a weed company, especially now. I mean, it's crowded as shit, but you know, you're kind of going an extra mile and you're you're doing something that you know in your heart, obviously that will make a huge difference. So I want to get back into that. I want to get back into like the business side of things, like why you decided not to do cannabis and do something like this. And maybe obviously there's some difficulties within there. And then after that, we can get into like the legality of these things, because it must be tough also running a business that's so on the fringe and and something very
0: new. Yeah, totally, man. Um, Well, I did get interested in the business of of weed. I I absolutely was fascinated with, with marijuana for a very long time. I am actually coming out of rehab. I was living in Victoria. So the way that you just explained downtown Toronto, that was literally Victoria in 2016. And it was it was the same thing dude. This is way before legalization. This is like 2 years before legalization. In Victoria it was littered with grey market cannabis shops. And part of my routine was I would literally just to you know, people go for coffee breaks, I would walk to the dispensary and get just one pre-roll joint, maybe two. And, and I was just kind of, I'd smoke it on the way back and that was kind of part of my, became a part of my routine. So I loved cannabis. I love cannabis for so many reasons, but I was really fascinated with cannabis and pain management. And I, you know, as my parents got a little bit older and are getting a little bit older, you know, mid sixties now, my aunts and uncles started to have all sorts of ailments. You know, one of the things that kept on coming up in my family was, was pain. And I, I hate, seeing people in pain I really do and, and I, I've been in those painful situations I talked about the pancreatitis um, and, and some of you know the the things that I did to my body that were extraordinarily painful I can relate to people that have that type of pain and um, so I was fascinated even before I came to the or to the to the mushrooms I was fascinated with cannabis and I was kind of walking down that road of getting you know hyper educated and actually at one point saw myself, you know, getting educated to the point where I was going to senior citizens homes and teaching them about pain management. It never got to that because I jumped into this at the same time, Um, but I was close. I was really close to getting into cannabis. I, I, like I said, I'm not knocking cannabis, I love it. It's a part of my life, but we're dealing with, you know, apples and oranges they're, they're two mental very different pain things. right
1: and spiritual and mental totally. pain that you're really totally. trying to help and i love that man like, like there's a lot of people that do it just like on like surface level but like you know you know this is kind of the reason why i asked you to share your story like you've told me this before but i needed people to hear this like it's it comes from like you like this is like how you actually believe this needs to be run and this needs to like yeah. work in society because it's still so new like it's not legal right it's not technically legal like it's I would love for you to jump in that because it could be easy. It would have been easy for you to just be like, Oh no, like I can't do this, but
0: there's a reason why you're pushing through it. I mean, honestly, man, it was close. If it wasn't for the one girl that came out at the end of the study and shared her testimonial with me, and actually I have it recorded, I don't have it on the website, but one day I will. Um, we, we do this 45 minute kind of accident interview and and we recorded it and she was willing to share all of it with the world. But I just realized that one, I, I, I saved somebody's life. And part of what I did with the study was making sure, as I mentioned, having enough ammunition so that if I was to get pulled into the courtroom, I've got an army of people that come in behind me saying my life was saved from this. And so here in Canada, a psilocybin is classified as a Schedule Two narcotic, and so definitely scheduled in there with, with the other narcotics. And part of being a Schedule Two is having no medicinal value whatsoever. And we now know, and, and the world now knows, that this is completely and utterly wrong. It's backwards. Um, luckily, things are moving quickly. So I, I, I don't have a time frame. I cannot give you an idea as to when this is going to be legalized but I can tell you it's moving quick. and There, there is something called section 56 exemptions. And, so, and which, so your listeners understand what that is, is if you have a terminal illness, you can now apply for an exemption to legally use these substances. I, I think there's only been about 90 that have actually been granted, which is an atrocity to me. I mean, honestly, why, why are we withholding this back from the people that are on the cusp of death's doorstep and frightened and terrified and rightfully so, man. I mean, honestly, rightfully so. Put yourselves in their shoes just for a moment here where you're a 40 year old with three kids and your life one day, you come back from a doctor's appointment you get this diagnosis and you've got four months to live. You don't think that you're gonna spend that entire four months riddled with anxiety, riddled with depression, just you know, searching for answers. And here we have a tool that can help these people get through those moments. It's an atrocity that, that these aren't available readily available at this at this point in time, um, but things are moving. And 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 I'll tell you what's really helping kind of move things along quickly is that in 2016, in the city of Vancouver, they actually declared the overdose crisis a pandemic. So well before any of us ever thought of what the real pandemic was, the pandemic had started in Vancouver on the on the east side of Vancouver because they were losing people. I mean, thousands of people, I, every quarter of thousands of people, and here's what's really sad. What ended up happening is they blew the whistle on this. They created this, um, Well, they blew the whistle on what was happening. They started to bring in all sorts of people in government, all sorts of people from all over the world, including people from Portugal, where Portugal was the first country in the world that legalized um, all drugs. And so they started to look at techniques because every, they were throwing serious money into this dude and no, nothing was changing. In fact, things were getting worse. And here's the sad part. Today, things are even worse than they were in 2016. So after all the resources that have been put into this for years and years and years, things have actually taken a worse turn It is because of the pandemic. So addiction rates are higher than they ever have been all over the world right now because of the pandemic, the isolation, the disconnects, the disconnection that our communities have had The disconnection of love and and, and friends and family and and support. What what happens when you remove those things is people lean into other types of support and and they start leaning into other substances. And so right now we have the highest rate of anxiety, depression, PTSD that has ever ever been recorded. We have the highest rate of addiction that has ever been recorded. People are leaving their jobs at such a fast rate due to anxiety and depression. SSRI medication is up 32% since the pandemic started. And so listen, man, I don't think we're above the law, but I got to tell you, even every major police force in the entire country, every union right now is focused on mental health, all of them. And, and and I'll tell you, I know this because I know one of the highest ranking police officers in the country, and guess what? He's on our product and his life has changed and you know, I don't think that we we're riding this magic carpet. We're trying to do absolutely everything we possibly can the right way. And we will be first in line to sign up when this thing becomes legal to get our legal license. But in the meantime, we got to save lives. We have to make an impact. We have to make a difference. And so that's, that's my stance on this. I hope, I hope that answered that.
1: Yeah, no, totally. So have you guys like, come into any issues? Have you like had any kind of hiccups with this? Have people tried to stop you? And I mean,
0: we're, we're honestly small potatoes, man. Uh, we, we you know, we're not a profitable company. We've got a team of four people that work on this night and day uh, for well less than minimal wage. This was never about turning the lights on and try to make millions of dollars. This has been simply trying to create a project that is going to impact the world in a positive way. And if the dollars come down the line, fantastic but for the first time in my career, the money came secondary. I reverse engineered the whole process, put people before the profits, and that's my stats on it. I mean, there's there's really not anything to come and take. There's nothing here. So, I, I mean, the reality is, is we haven't had those hiccups. I am I, excited to work with agencies that are helping police, fire, medical, um, army. I mean, There is not a subset of workers in our business portfolio of Canada that actually need these substances more than those people. So, I mean,
1: do you know anything about this? No, I would love for you to kind of dive deeper in that because I know that I could imagine anyways that that would be a huge issue for that type of work. If you're a frontline worker, like whether you're a police officer or like first responder, like I could only imagine kind of the shit that you would just come into contact in like a daily life. Exactly. Right. And And I I think that's all it, that's all you really need to say, right? Like they're the people who need it the
0: most. They're the people that need it the most, man. Even the people that have been, um, you know, serving time for five years or less are showing up, having off the scale PTSD because of the shit that they're seeing every single day. And I'll tell you what, their lives got made even worse after the George George Floyd stuff, after the public started to turn on them, you know, it's, yeah, the, from, from my understanding, and this is coming from a clinical physician that I know well, she had told me that police, fire, and medical actually have the highest rates of PTSD out of any, and, and, and army um, out of any subset of business in, in, in all of North America. And so could you imagine not allowing you know, these people to access these, you know, to, to heal the people that are serving us, not having access to these medicines? I, I just see a world very soon where this is going to be completely mainstream and it's not far away where people are putting away these really harmful. And the other side of that is not just PTSD, dude, is that when these people are leaving their careers, they have the highest rate of addiction over any subset of business in the country. So they're turning to like, of course you are, you're running from that pain. Mushrooms are something that can truly help you get through this by healing it. And yet they don't have access to it. It doesn't make any sense. No.
1: And the craziest thing is like, what is most accessible alcohol? It's ridiculously accessible, right? It's also cannabis now, like I, I would personally, I think you would probably agree just given your experience, like go towards uh, weed over alcohol for anybody who kind of needs something like that. But again, this is where it's really cool where you guys are stepping in. Now, now there's an alternative. Here's something that can really help. It's not something that you're going to become addicted to. It's not something that you're going to like lean on and become dependent on. And it's not something that's going to just mask the problem, but it can really help bring the problem to the forefront. That's another thing I, I notice even from microdosing a bit is like, these things that you would you would normally want to just shove back to the back of your brain, you just kind of let it flow to the front. And then if you really lean into like the therapy, like you said, or even just journaling, if you want to do kind of self-help model, just letting it out and you know, writing it out and then talking about
0: it, it can help a lot. And then let's just stay there just for a moment because you nailed it here. I mean, talking about it. Let's normalize mental health a little bit here, you guys, because two in five of us are going to experience depression anxiety no matter what to a point where most of us will be educated so and and i got to tell you the the other 60% of us maybe just don't want to admit but mental health is is needs to be something that is completely normalized and spoken about and that is something that our community is extraordinarily passionate about doing this isn't this was never and will never be about just being a supplement company that sends supplements to people in the mail, we want to actually help provide the actual raw tools to help people heal. I've got a six-part series coming out with Dr. Kevin Preston, one of, you know, just an an amazing uh, human being, ultra special spiritual healer uh, from Vernon, and he's sharing all sorts of tools that we're going to be able to provide with our community to help. But, you know, one of the things that we need to start doing is having conversations like this, showing up, there's no company that is doing what we're doing in this space today in Canada that is actually showing who's behind the scenes, showing the real raw stories of why we're doing this and getting vulnerable. And my hope is, is that the more we start having these conversations and the more people, you know, get a chance to use these medicines, the more open we can become, the more conversations we can have. And, and, and the healing is in the collective. We can we can help each other get to these get to the next level in our healing through conversation. Oh, man, I
1: I can't agree more. But do you think that maybe this is the tool that the mental health industry needed? I mean, there's other psychedelics as well, but maybe specifically mushrooms. Like there's so many people like putting their money and their time and just all their effort into this. And why haven't they done this earlier? Why haven't they just been okay? the mushrooms this clearly works. Why are we building all these other things, SSRIs and all these other random um, pharmaceuticals that are doing more harm than good?
0: Why haven't anyone really tried to bring this out earlier? I mean, the answer is simple. I mean, big pharma controls all the cash flow. We all know this. This isn't a secret. This isn't a conspiracy. This is why if you go and actually try to do your research on these 40 SSRIs, you're not going to find any compelling scientific data that these things actually work. And so here we have a substance that is grown naturally in the ground, that is readily available to basically everybody in the world, and that actually help people truly heal themselves for a fraction of the cost. Um, I'll tell you, Josh, dude, like I, I have been... You know, one of the things that I've done in this project is I've opened myself up to hundreds of people, hundreds of conversations, gotten my number out there. People can email me. It's getting to a point now where, I'm, you know, it's, it's it's hard to, you know, get on calls with everybody. But I hear story after story of people 24 years ago in high, you know, the year after high school, they have a baby and they experience the baby blues and and they get on, on one of these SSRIs. And 24 years later, they're still on the same substance. They haven't healed the fucking pain and they're now addicted and have been addicted for two decades on, on, on one of these SSRIs. And I'll tell you, I know one of the leading psychiatrists in this entire space um, in Canada. Won't use his name. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that out. But I've been so blessed to be on many phone calls with him and learn from him. Um, 50% of people that get on these SSRIs, can experience withdrawals that are that are so significant that at some capacity they can be related to heroin withdrawal. Now luckily, the other 50% of people will actually have a much easier time getting off of these SSRIs, but they're not ever meant for you to come off. You get on these things, man, you're going to find yourself two decades down the line still on these. So be very careful and ask the questions. And listen, I'm not saying that this is for absolutely everybody. If you're bipolar, if you're schizophrenic, um, you should likely remain on your meds. And that those are kind of where, where you're not going to want to cross over here. Um, but listen, two days ago, one of, one of the newest studies that have come out on this, and I'm glad we're doing this today because I got I got a hold of this study yesterday. Um there, there's, let me see if I can pull it up here so I can bring it. Perfect. Um, I, I, I don't have it here. I had it beforehand, but um, really it was all about SSRIs. And what they were looking at was, can you take an SSRI and mix it with psilocybin? And the preliminary clinical data is saying that, yes, it's safe. More studies to come, but I'm telling you, this is going to open up the door for many people to, to lean themselves off of the SSRIs in a safe capacity without the withdrawals and still get a profound effect from the psilocybin. Um, so very profound evidence has just come out. Um, so I'll send it to you so that you can, you can pin it for your listeners when, when cool. this goes live. Yeah, we'll put um, it in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. But really compelling evidence that these, that, you know, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, like dude, these are the safest of all of the drugs. And so I'm just so grateful that, you know, we are working with a medicine that is incredibly safe. There's very few caveats that that, uh, that say you shouldn't be on it. Um, and the reality is, is that there's really never been a tool for these people to, to help bridge that gap of withdrawal. And I think what, because of that, people stay stuck on these things because when they try to get off or they try to get the, you know, lower the dose, it's complicated. And so, yeah, I I, I think this is the answer. To, and, and, and I gotta tell you, I think mushrooms really are the future of mental health care.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think like you you brought it up just then of like having it uh, as a tool to help people lean off, get off of the SRSRIs. And one thing I actually saw, so I was going through the site when I was first, um, kind of when I first heard about you guys when we first got connected, I went through the site and I was looking at reviews. There's just so many great reviews and there's people you know, talking about how it's helped them with those down days where they're trying to get off SSRIs and the days that they don't take it, they've been taking these supplements instead, they've been taking these, these meds instead and it's been helping them immensely. Then from there, I started seeing other people talking about their ADHD symptoms and you talked about it earlier. It's like a big thing where it could really help with ADHD. Um, and you know, this is another thing where with Vivance, people are gonna get hooked on Vivance and all these really crazy pharmaceuticals where this can be another answer. It really just seems like it's not, like you said, it's not just like a magic pill, but it kind of seems that way. It seems like it can solve a lot of problems or at least be a tool to solve a lot of these problems. And it's just, we're, we're in a Renaissance here, man. It feels like we're really at this crazy point in human history in pharmaceutical history and mental health history, which is fairly new. No one really even cared about until like recent years, you know, 50s, 60s, they didn't even talk about it. It wasn't even a thing. And now you're at the forefront, man. And it's just really awesome to see you do this. And it's like, it really warms my heart to see that there are people out there that are really like putting their necks out on the line. Like I said, like this isn't fully legal, but like, you know, you're not having any issues by any means, but you're really putting yourself out on the line to do this and it's really
0: noble. Thank you, man. I mean, we, we took some steps that no other company in the gray market is, is taking um, safety precautions, building out our own farm, working with the top mycologists in the industry, working with the psychiatrists, the doctors and, and you know, Chinese medicine doctors, you name it, you know, this, this wasn't, and I, and I want people to realize this is like, this wasn't the shortcut to just try and, you know, get rich. And that's what people have seen in the cannabis space is people operating without a code of ethics and without the morals and just putting a cannabis company together and going out there and just you know spreading it all through the market without actually, without that really important factor, which is like thinking about the end user and truly caring about the outcome. Um, yeah. So I, I hope that shows, I, I can tell you we've worked extraordinarily hard as, as a company and as a group. To, to bring the safest program that we can possibly bring to the country, that the highest quality product that you can possibly get your hands on, even just sourcing some of our functional mushrooms. I mean, we spent nine months finding the best mushrooms in North America. And, um, and I think that shows in our product. I can tell you, Josh, uh, we have never as an organization ever one single time, zero times, ever had to refund a, a customer's money. So I'm not saying that Every customer has this 10 out of 10 experience, but I'll tell you, I've never woken up to an email where somebody said, hey, I spent my 70 bucks and I'm not feeling shit. This didn't work. I have never, ever, one single time heard that, ever. Wow. So I know what we have here. It's special. It's just, you know, behind the scenes, this group of people is absolutely amazing. Uh, And we deeply care about making an impact and helping people.
1: Yeah, it shows. It shows, man, in everything. Like anyone listening to I highly recommend at least following you guys on like Instagram and you know, all these things where you guys are posting a lot of really great things. Um, You guys have a lot of great blog posts, a lot of good like resources, education. So go, go on to the, to the website. I'm going to link everything in the show notes and the description of this podcast, so people will be able to find all the stuff. I'd love for you to send me that study too. I think that would be oh, really well. interesting. So to now, is, it's new. And then I guess like kind of like while we're in this talk of like the business of things, this really is like an e-commerce company. And I know with cannabis, it's hard to advertise or there's like implications with advertising. So how has that been for you guys as an e-commerce company? I'm sure people have lots of questions and, you know, it's hard to get the word out there. So how has that been going for
0: you guys? Yeah. I mean, really good question. I I don't look at this as an e-commerce company. I look at, I look at what we're doing as a community. And, you know, when you focus on a community as opposed to building a company or, or, or getting rich, um, it's, it's hard to shut that down, right? Because no matter what happens here, we're going to have built a community. And, and um, but yeah, no, we don't have the luxuries of, of, of what the, the everyday companies have to, to go and spin up advertising. That's just going to land in your face. If you're someone that's been Googling, you know, microdosing, you know, I would love for our company to be the first company that pops up. You know, we just, you know, you can't really get past the algorithms with with Facebook and, and, and with Instagram. And honestly, we got to just be very careful with the way that we dance. And um, so, you know, to answer your question, I don't consider ourselves an e-commerce business. I just, we're just an online community, man.
1: Right. And you just happen to be able to take payment online and being able to send it people that way. So it makes sense. Honestly, it'd be interesting to see you guys eventually build out some kind of center or something to build out the community where people can have more of these profound experiences. I could definitely see that in the near future, if not uh, yeah, not man. too distant future. I'm sure that's um, somewhere on. the. Well, line. I hope we're
0: back here in 24 months and we're having a conversation about phase two. That's yeah. for sure.
1: What is the plans for phase two,
0: if you were able to talk about it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's really just four phases. Like we we've kind of reverse engineered the end game. And, you know, throughout phase two and three, we really hope to start participating in opening up clinics and partnering with with you know top um top people in their medical fields to to help us re envision and repurpose this idea of rehabilitation. Because, you know, when the odds are only one in ten, which Dude, I'm giving so much credit to that one in 10. I think it's far less. But the reality is, is like it's just not effective enough for people. And so my hope is that over the years, as we begin to study these things and combine that psychotherapy with the medicines and proper integration, and 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 that's something that the rehab model today doesn't really have. Like the second you leave a rehab facility, most of the time your fucking addicted partner is coming to pick you up in the car or the parents that abused you or neglected you are the ones coming to grab you and you're just slingshotted right back into the same situation you were in the day before you even got into rehab. And so, yeah, I mean, that's really the end goal for this entire project is to, is to build out some facilities that, that we, we can start producing some better numbers and, um, and help more people in a way that they're, they're not relapsing within six months or dying within six months. And I think the way that we can do that is use these medicinal tools, really, really get to the heart of the trauma zones. And again, like lots of people come into these rehab facilities and they don't want to share. They don't want to talk. They don't want to go there. Well, as you mentioned, and and as we now know, microdosing helps you get there. It's just a tool that can really help you get access to those emotions and those feelings. And, um, and so I really see a future in rehabilitation using these medicines.
1: That's incredible. And I'm very excited for that. I know you'll get there. Like I can definitely see it in your eyes, like the fires there. And yeah, it just seems like any kind of roadblock there would be, it's just like, it just seems like the universe is going to open that up for you because this is something that needs to be done and it needs to be done by people like you. It can't just be done by people who haven't experienced it firsthand or kind of know very little about it. You just seem like the perfect person to, to do this. So I'm very thankful that you're doing this because although I'm not personally experiencing this kind of thing right now, there's yeah. always someone you know that has or are or maybe will. So yeah. to know that these kind of tools and these kind of support systems will be there, it just makes things way, way more reassuring and more optimistic. I like to think about, you know the optimistic lens of our future, and you're definitely helping build that
0: optimistic future. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate that. It's been, it's been a really enjoyable couple hours. Absolutely. Did you want man. to throw anything else at me or should we um should we maybe wrap this up?
1: Yeah, man. Well, you've been very, very kind and very, very generous with your time today, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. There's some really great uh, outcomes. Um, that I know that I brought. So I'm sure there's anybody listening. I'm sure there's a lot of really great aha moments there. There's a lot of insights that I already picked out. So I really appreciate you taking the time for this, man. I do have a few final questions for you um, before we wrap things up, just to kind of keep everything nicely tied up in a bow here. So for you as a founder, uh, these are kind of like rapid fire questions. You as a founder, are there any challenges that you're currently facing right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, breaking that mold of, you know, when people think of psychedelics, they think of this like inter-universe travel where microdosing is so different. I mean, it's so sub perceptual to the point where, like I said, the nine to fives, the people with children, the people that with, with careers, the lawyers, the doctors, the dentists, we can all use these substances very safely. And uh, so changing that narrative of, of people's mind frames when they think about magic mushrooms, to think about that we can use these in the microdosing capacity and still get extraordinary results.
1: Absolutely, I think I could help you out there. Uh, I took the Mindful Meds Perform blend about an hour before this conversation, which means it would have kicked in just as we were chatting. And I don't think anyone until I just told you would have known maybe. So maybe I have, maybe people notice I'm more open. I don't know, but it's been great. And uh, again, with the perform thing, we've talked about a little bit before, it wasn't so much about um, bringing me back up to baseline. It's actually kind of like helped me perform more on the new tropics. So maybe we have a whole other conversation on new tropics in the future. Because um, so you huh? talked about, I think this is more about the, how it can really help real problems this is something that can really help you go to the next level. And we spoke about it before about, you know, just really helping you up your game. But I think what's more important is these deeper uh, problems that you're solving, which is really incredible. So that hopefully that helps. Um, Another question for you too, man, is where where do you see the psychedelic industry in the next two to five years, let's say in the near future?
0: I think that almost every single household in the next five years is going to have a microdosing product on their shelves. I think it's gonna happen super quickly. I think the world is ready for this. The world needs this. The stigma hopefully by then is completely reduced to the point where this is so mainstream that everybody and their neighbors are are using a microdosing product because right now, man, everybody and their neighbors are on these SSRIs. They're everywhere. There's a pandemic on its own with these things, dude. So my hope is that yeah th- th- we're starting to combine psychotherapy and these medicines together. We're starting to see rehabilitation, uh, like rehab itself, like for addiction, combining these medicines. And um, I'm I'm just hoping that the stigma's gone by then.
1: Yeah, I think I think we're getting there. Um, okay, second to last question: If you had a one billion dollar advertising budget and you had Nothing in your way and you can send a message out to every single device, every single computer, every single social media user on the planet. What would you tell them? Here's the
0: thing, man. Once people experience the actual product for themselves, I'm telling you, man, the odds of you having a bad experience are so low that I would actually say, forget the billion dollar marketing campaign. Let's spin up. 50 million bottles or however much the cost was, and let's get these into everybody's hands for free. And I truly think that they're going to come back um, as customers right after. So I I would scrap the marketing campaign and just literally get product into as many people's hands as I possibly could because these products are literally, the efficacy rate is so high that, um, that I think that would be the most effective way to spend that billion dollars.
1: Let the mushrooms do the talking. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, man. And last question. Again, I like this to be optimistic. What's something that you're excited about and looking forward to?
0: Um. Well, I'm excited. I'm 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 engaged for the first time. Congrats! So I'm engaged man. in July. We've been together for a decade, and so Lisa has been there through some of those really hard times. So I'm really excited to to get married and and to move that next phase of my life. Um, forward to be honest, because there was a long time that I didn't think we'd ever get married. So we bought a house in July, and uh, some beautiful things are happening in my life now that I've been able to get control of the the alcohol. And so I'd say that's the most exciting thing for me is just thinking about what that looks like and what we're gonna do and what type of celebration we're gonna have. And um, and again, you know, we talked about me thinking about my funeral, and now the beautiful thing is we're thinking about my wedding.
1: So I love that. That's amazing! I'm so happy for you, man. That's incredible. Thank you, brother. And uh, is there anything else you want to tell listeners? Anyone listening to us right now or watching this on YouTube? Any last kind of like messages that you want to send out to the world before we? Uh,
0: yeah, hit I mean, honestly, my our goal here was never to sell products and and get onto podcasts and start speaking about how good our products was. I just want to be the conduit to the information. So if you know, please give us a follow. Mindful meds underscore ca. Uh, on Instagram, mindfulmeds.io on the website. And all, the only thing I'm going to ask, if you, if you spent the time listening to this podcast, please get yourself educated on these medicines. They're fascinating. They're going to change lives and don't get left behind. And if you're a therapist and you're not thinking about bringing these things into your, into your practices, bringing these medicines into your practices, I think you're honestly going to get left behind. So I'm um, Yeah, I'll just leave it off on that. I mean, I was excited to be here today. Thank you, Josh. Um, Two hours, two hours just cooked by. Uh, That was a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Keegan, man. This was an absolute
1: blast. I really appreciate uh, all your wisdom and sharing your story. And I'm glad to see that you're kind of on your path now, your true path. And I wish you so much success. And for everyone listening, I will post all of the links in the description of this podcast. There'll be a lot of resources, a lot of resources directly on MindMeds. Um, and as we mentioned, mindful I'm going to set meds. up a Mindful, mindful Med. Meds.
0: Really important you throw the full on there. We have to.
1: Yeah. We won't, we don't, we won't explain why. That doesn't matter. Um, Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) uh, So go to mindfulmeds.io and you can use the code mindmel to get 10% off if you want to try this out. So I'm going to be posting that in the link and you guys can try it out. I highly recommend it. Again, I'm almost at my 30 days stint and it's only been good. I only have good things to say. So Keegan, thank you
0: so much for bringing this to the world, man. My pleasure, brother. It's great to connect with you. Thanks everybody. Appreciate this. Bye Josh.